Well, in the words of the uh, deep philosophical theme song of Smokey and the Bandit, we've got a long way to go and a short time to get there. So open up your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1 is where we're going to be coming out of this morning. I've got to say, um, I've only preached one sermon where the pastor was in the room, but I've never preached a sermon where three of my favorite pastors are in the room. Um, we have Thomas here, we've got Craig Carlisle here, and we've got Jared Cornett over there on the left side. So, um, it's pretty intimidating, not going to lie to you, but I'm excited. So, Philippians 1, 19 through 21 is where we will be coming out of. This is what the word of the Lord says from the book of Philippians. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, that this will turn out for my deliverance. As is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul is writing this letter from a Philippian prison. He is writing this letter while he is in chains. And we call Philippians one of his most joyous letters. He says the words rejoice and be glad over and over and over. And why is it that he is rejoicing and being glad? It is because that Paul has lived a life that is fulfilling to Christ. He has lived a life that is filling for the mission of God. He is living a life that is reflective of the calling that the Lord had placed upon him on the day that he was called out of darkness into marvelous light. And today we recognize some seniors who we are going to be sending out. We recognize them for their accomplishments. And what I want us to do inside this room is that if we've been in that position, I want us to take a trip down memory lane Going back to those moments when we're getting ready to graduate from high school. Now, some of my students, they'll be doing this in a few years, so just pretend, okay? Imagine those moments where you're about to walk across the stage, and you're about to shake your principal's hand, and you're about to have a degree conferred to you, a high school diploma, that will be your ticket into the world, into adulthood, which is not as fun as what we make it out to be. Thank you for that. I'm glad people can relate. These students are preparing for college. They're preparing for careers. They're preparing for the rest of their lives. And this week, some of them, and one of them earlier this month, was surrounded by friends that they will come to understand in the coming years that a lot of us will go our separate ways after high school. And what happens is, is you get these overwhelming emotions of joy, these overwhelming emotions of sadness, of excitement, of nerves. It's just a massive bowl of soup of emotions that just continue to overwhelm you. This is one of the biggest transitions early on in our lives where we transition from being a child to going to college or going into the workplace as an adult with responsibility. So what are we told on how to handle this Or better yet, what was I told on how to handle this? And what were some of these students told? And I promise you, a lot of our students are still told these things to this day. First, you're to find a career that makes you happy. Then you're to find a career that makes you good money. And I still don't know what good money is. You're to find a school that has the major you want to pursue. Then you're to move off to college 
leave your parents behind, or stay at home. Then you're told to make good grades and keep your GPA up while at the same time being involved on campus and having a social life and also trying to throw sleep in there somewhere. And all of that is to make memories that will last a lifetime. Then you're told that after all of this, you will graduate with your degree. You'll go through the same season, except you will then be entering into the workplace with a degree that you worked very hard on, many of you years of your lives. At some point, you're told to find a husband or a wife. You're to buy a house, have kids, buy a boat, and just live your life in a way that brings you the most happiness. And at the end of all that, you die. A reality that is facing us every day, that we are every day dying and coming closer to the day that we will pass on. And at the end of all this, you will die. And hopefully, what we, ha- what we hope for is that we have enough to leave something behind. We have enough to leave something behind for our families so that they can remember us. So our legacy will be there and so that they don't have to worry about anything. And all of these are very good things. Good things that can bring us happiness and a sense of satisfaction. But only for a moment. Only for a mere moment can these things bring us satisfaction. You see, brothers and sisters and graduates, you will never be satisfied by these temporary things fully. They will never feel that longing inside your heart. And this is why. Because even the best of things on this planet are worthless apart from a life lived for Jesus Christ. I'm going to say that one more time. Even the best of things in this life, our families, our children, our husbands, our wives, our jobs, our college degrees, our cars, our possessions, our homes, all of these good things are worthless apart from a life lived for Jesus Christ. To pursue earthly pleasure without eternal focus is a life that is wasted. These temporary pleasures compare nothing to the eternal joy that is waiting for us at the end of this life compared to the eternal joy that is found in Jesus Christ. Four years ago, I started my ministry here. And John Piper, one of my favorite pastors, I named my dog after him, famously said this statement in Memphis, Tennessee on this exact date 19 years ago. Don't waste your life. Today I want to echo this statement to Bailey, Savannah, Jordan, and Emily. But I also want to echo this statement to you, brothers and sisters, and my faith family. Don't waste your life. Don't waste your life. In this passage, Paul lays out some truths for us that not only show us how to not waste our lives, but how to live a life that is fully reliant upon God in such a way that at the end of life, when we die, when we stare death in the face, we can say these words, to live is Christ, to die is gain. To live is Christ, to die is gain. First, I want to tell you this. Don't waste your life. Rely completely on Jesus. 
Don't waste your life. Rely completely on Jesus. Verse 19, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, that this will turn out for my deliverance. Paul is writing from prison. He's writing from a place of complete isolation. But he tells the Philippians, I know this will work out for my deliverance. What is he talking about? He's in chains. What is this deliverance that he's speaking of? This deliverance he's speaking of is the ultimate salvation found in Christ Jesus. This ultimate salvation that is found only in Christ Jesus. This is found in a life that is fully trusting in God. This is found in a life that is fully trusting in the Lord, trusting in His sufficiency in all things, believing that He is enough even when you're in a jail cell. Believing that He is enough even in the most desolate times of life. And let me tell you this, brothers and sisters, He is enough for you. Wherever you are sitting inside this room right now, He is enough for you. Some of us are in a really dark place. In that moment, he is enough for you, brother. Some of us are going through medical issues. He is enough for you, sister. Whatever season of life that you are in, Christ is all sufficient for your every need. He is adequate. He is enough For your ultimate deliverance, your ultimate redemption, your ultimate salvation that is only found in Him. As Paul shows us in verse 19. We also see how God works through the prayers of His people in this passage. Paul tells us that through the Philippians' prayers that this will turn out for His deliverance. James reminds us in his his book in in chapter 5 verse 16 that the prayer of a righteous person has much power in its working. Why is that? Because prayer is the means of how we communicate with God, but also has a strong relationship with the provision of the Spirit. Listen to what Romans 8.26 says about this. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Paul says that he relies upon the Spirit of Christ In the prayers of the people, because prayer and the Holy Spirit go hand in hand. Prayer is one of the ways and the means that God works. And we know this from reading Paul's letters. Paul definitely prayed. D.A. Carson, in his book, Praying with Paul, points out that there are 42 unique prayers all throughout his letters. That he prays for the churches. That he's praying for other people. That he's praying for boldness. That he's praying that Christ will be there all in all. And he prays all these things. But Paul also relies upon the prayers of these churches. Listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 11. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. 
And Paul on multiplication asks the believers to pray for him. In Romans 15, 30, in Ephesians 6, 18 through 19, Colossians 4, 3 through 4, 1 Thessalonians 5, 25, Paul shows us that he really believed that God worked in prayer through his spirit. He showed us that he truly believed that deep down in his soul that God uses prayer to help his servants through the spirit. So let me ask you this question today, brothers and sisters. Do you believe this? Do you believe that God uses prayer to help his people? Some of you are shaking your heads, and this is what I ask you now, is do we pray like that? Do we pray that God is going to use prayer to change the nations through the gospel? Do we believe that God is going to use prayer to do the impossible? Listen to what James says in chapter 5, as I mentioned earlier. Verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. You see, so many times in the Bible, we look at these like characters, these real people, that they're like these super like blessed people that are like a team. They're varsity, and we're middle school. We're not even on JV compared to them. But this verse completely blows that up. James 5 says that Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He was like us. The difference is, is that he was fully reliant upon God, and he fully trusted in the Spirit, and he prayed in such a way fervently, and God heard his prayer. Now, I'm not up here telling you that if you go out and pray, that God's going to answer every prayer, especially your selfish ones. But there's a difference between praying just to check the box and praying relying on the Spirit. Do you pray like this? Or are you wasting your life relying upon yourself instead of relying upon God? Graduates know this. I want to tell you all this. This is super important. This church has been praying for you. This church has been praying for you. They will continue to pray for you. They will continue to pour out their hearts for you. And in seasons where you felt it, in seasons where you're not going to feel it, we will be praying for you in church that is true for you as well. Let us pray for one another, relying upon the Spirit of Jesus through faithful prayer as God did, and not waste our lives upon self-reliance. Brothers and sisters, don't waste your life. Rely completely on Jesus. Secondly, I want to point this out. Don't waste your life. Give Jesus all the credit. Verse 20. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with that full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Now, I just told us in James 5, it tells us to confess our sins to one another, and I have a sin to confess. Um... I have taken credit for something that I did not do, and that was mostly on group projects in college and in high school. You see, I was assigned a task, and what I usually did was I did not provide that task. I usually provided entertainment, which it was a task in my opinion. 
I catch people laughing, and then at the end, there was some poor person, somebody like my wife, because she was this person, that picked up all the slack of all the slackers around us and turned in the grade. Now, it kind of changed in college, because when I got to college, you got to review your classmates on their schoolwork, and I always got bad reviews. But in high school, I would take that grade that some poor person worked hard for and take all the glory and all the honor of it. I would take the credits. Now, we know this is not right. But let me ask you this, brothers and sisters. Why do we approach Christ in such a way? Why do we approach Christ in such a way? And this is why. Because everyone in this room thinks they're a better God than God is, and we're a bunch of glory thieves. We love to steal God's glory and throw it upon ourselves. Every one of us in this room are guilty of that. Let's listen to verse 20 one more time. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul's goal in his life was very simple in this. Honor Jesus. That was the entire scope of Paul's life. Honor Jesus. Whether by living or by dying, honor Jesus. This hope that he has is solely upon the work that Christ completed for him, and even in his life and even in his death, that Jesus would be glorified above all. That is Paul's greatest hope. And this is our hope this morning because everyone in this room is alive, even though some of us don't look like it. We're alive. Our hearts are beating. And while our hearts are beating right now, your job is to glorify Christ in your body. Your job is to glorify Christ in this body that you were living in, this temporary tent, as Paul writes of. Now, not only are you to just do that, you're to live this out courageously. Paul says that he does not want to at all be ashamed, but wants full courage. Full courage. Where does this courage come from? It surely doesn't come from within us. We know from the scriptures that this boldness, that this courage comes from a life lived for Christ through the Spirit. We see this in the book of Acts, in the book of Acts, chapter 4, 29 through 31, where the church is gathered and they pray for boldness in such a way that the Spirit comes down and the building was shaken. And they rely upon the Spirit of God to go out, and in the midst of intense persecution, they go out and proclaim the gospel anyway. The church was unstoppable because they relied upon the Spirit. Paul says in Romans 1.16 that for I am unashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God that saves first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. This unashamedness comes from a life that is lived solely reliant upon Jesus, giving him all the glory and being filled with the Holy Spirit. Listen to what Jesus says, though, in Luke 9.26. Let's contrast this. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words... Of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. So Jesus tells us that he will be ashamed of those who are ashamed of him. But those who live courageously, those who persevere to the end, will receive the crown of life. 
So now that you know this truth, let me ask you this question. How now will you live? Let me ask you this question, a question most of us in this room have probably never thought of. How now will you die? How now will you die? Ray Ortland is one of my favorite pastors, and he tweeted a few weeks ago talking to pastors, but I want to spin it and tell you guys what he said for you. Think about the way that you're going to die. Think about the way that you are going to die, especially believers in this room. Because most of us in this room would love to die in our sleep. With no pain, no suffering, just go to sleep and wake up with Jesus. And that's a wonderful desire. But what if God is not calling you to die in such a way? What if that death would not bring him the most glory? I think of the missionaries that have died overseas. Engaging in the mission of God. And I promise you this, their death brought much glory to Jesus. But we are so obsessed with comfort, we're so obsessed with ourselves, that we don't think about that a lot. How now will you die in light of this truth? Will you die in such a way, courageously relying upon Jesus, giving Him the glory that He deserves? Or will you live and die in such a way that you are pointing to yourself, ashamed of Christ? Graduates, I want you to hear me out here. This is very important as well. You will be influenced to stay quiet about your faith. Into this world that you are entering, you will be influenced to stay quiet about your faith. My first day of school in Jacksonville, Alabama, a biology professor walked in with the origin of the species by Charles Darwin, held it up and said, welcome to church and this is our Bible. We don't talk about God in here. In Jacksonville, Alabama. Part of the Bible Belt, in my opinion. You're going to be encouraged to stay silent, but you must live your faith out loud. And don't only expect that doing good works and doing good things on campus is going to bring people to Jesus. You must open your mouth about your faith. You must tell others about Jesus. And point to Him and say, that is why I am new. That is why I'm saved. It is in Christ that I find my ultimate deliverance and salvation. And church, let that be our cry as well, being influenced by these graduates. That we will be sent out of this place every day, every week, week in, week out, going for the mission of God in such a way that we say, it's all about Jesus. Don't look at me, look at him. He's the one who did this miraculous work in my heart, who brought this dead person to life. It is all about Jesus. We give him all the glory. We give him all the credit. So don't let us waste our lives. Let us live boldly, out loud for Jesus, giving him all the credit. Thirdly and lastly, I want to encourage you to do this. Don't waste your life. Live your life fully for Jesus. Don't waste your life. Live your life fully for Jesus. Listen to verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
Now in the Greek here, you can actually, it has this sort of rhyme and this kind of rhythm to it. To live is Christ, to die is gain. To live is Christ, to die is gain. One commentator that I read this week, and I love this, he said this, this shows us the heartbeat of Paul. This shows us the heartbeat of Paul. This shows us Paul's ultimate life goal was never his comfort, never his advancement, never what was going to happen to him. It was all about Jesus. It was all about Jesus. So if Paul would live, he would further the gospel. And if he would die, he would gain the purpose of the gospel in Jesus. The ultimate goal, the ultimate prize that we wish to attain, he would attain it in his death. But here's the problem in this room, brothers and sisters. We do not live this way. Let me say it again so you can let that sink into your heart. We do not live this way. Tony Morita, in his commentary, put it like this. This verse begins with the phrase, for me. For me. Paul is resolving that he personally would live in such a way that he would reflect Jesus fully. But in our hearts, we do not reject Jesus fully. So this is typically what happens with us. We fill in the blanks with idols. We say things like this. For to me... To live is to make money, and to die is to be broke. We say things like this, for me to live is physical pleasure, to die is to have no pleasure at all. For some of us in this room, we say, for me living is power, I want to be in control, and to die is to be powerless. Some of us in this room say, living is my beauty. To die is to have no more beauty. Or the one that hits me square in the chest. To live is to entertain myself. To die is to have no more fun. Or how about this one? To live is to have my family. To die is to not have a family. Most of these things can be good things. But when placed in the position of Jesus Christ, they're absolutely worthless. As Paul writes in Philippians 3, that they are garbage. The Greek word is actually poop. They're dung. They're garbage. It's not even worth comparing to the glory of Christ Jesus. So let me ask you this question. What will you live for, brother? What will you die for, sister? In what way will you live so that you will not waste away your life? Is there something right now inside your heart, something that was just said, that hits something deep inside your soul? And if it was, that's because that will never fully satisfy you. It will only bring temporary satisfaction that nothing on this earth can fully satisfy. The only thing that can fully satisfy that urge is a life lived For Jesus. And we need to understand in light of Jesus. That the good things in our lives. Can waste our lives away. So instead let us do this. Collectively and individually. Spend your life. Fully. Not just part of it. Fully. Invest your life. In 
and for Jesus. Invest your life in Jesus. We do not want to waste our time doing something that's only going to matter right now. We want to be spending our lives doing something that's going to matter one billion years from now. One billion years from now is what you are doing going to matter. And if it is not, strip that away and run the race that Christ has set before you. Strip it away. Don't waste your life. And if you live this way, we can go on every rooftop in this city, in this state, in this country, in this, in this world, and say to live is Christ and to die is gain. If we live our lives in that way, that can be our heartbeat as well. Now, at the beginning of this sermon, you heard of what we are told to do, of how to spend our lives so that we can be successful. And graduates, you've probably done many compare and contrast essays or papers over the years, and most of us in this room have probably done those. I want to talk about another life that was lived that compare and contrast these lives. In the year of 1887, there was a man born named William Borden. William Borden grew up a very rich man. His family had a large multi-million dollar inheritance. And after he graduated high school, when he was 16 years old, he traveled around the world. He took a round trip around the world. And while he was there, he saw all the things of this world. But it wasn't the wonders of the world that convicted him. It was the hurts of the people that convicted him. It was the hurts of the people that convicted him. And when he came back being influenced by this and being influenced by the, pre- by the preaching of, um, of Mr. Moody up in Chicago. He said, I'm going to be a missionary. And one of his friends said this. He was throwing his life away. And in the back of his Bible, he wrote these two words, no reserve. No reserve. Fully committed to Jesus. He then went on to Yale University where his freshman year, he was so broken, so broken by the lostness on campus. So broken by the lostness on campus, so much so that he started a Bible study. And he started discipling men all around campus. And whenever someone was being left to the wayside, and he said, who will disciple this person? Who will disciple this person? If somebody didn't take them, he would take them immediately. By the end of his freshman year, out of his class of 300, 150 people were reached for the gospel. By the time he graduated in 1909, 1,000 out of 1,300 students were attending a Bible study at Yale University. All because of the calling that he was pursuing. Upon graduation, his dad said, hey, listen, you can have a job in the company. Your inheritance is yours. And William Borden said, no, I'm called to these peoples of the world to get them the gospel. And his dad said, you will never Have a job in my company living that way. And he wrote two more words in the back of his Bible. No retreat. No retreat. 
no turning back. In 1912, he was commissioned from Moody Church in Chicago to be a missionary to the Kanzu Muslim people in China. And as he left, he went to Egypt to learn Arabic. And six short months later, he contracted spinal meningitis and he died. Never making it to his final mission field. Was this life a waste? According to the world's standards, 100% yes, it was a waste. But according to the glorious standard set by Jesus in his gospel that says, For whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. This life brings so much glory to Christ, so much more so than pursuing the comforts that are before us. Which of these lives was a waste? Which of these lives made much of Jesus? And I hope you know the answer. And this is where I ask you, where do you stand? Where do you stand? Are you wasting your life? Are you not relying completely on God? Are you not relying completely upon the Spirit in your prayer life, in your life in general? Are you wasting your life giving yourself all the glory? Are you wasting your life not fully leaving for Jesus? This little black Bible was the first Bible that my family purchased for me when I started my ministry as a senior in high school, these students that are graduating. In the back of this Bible, you may not can see it, I wrote the words of William Borden. No reserves, no retreats, no regrets. Let that be your life, well-lived graduates. That you will live a life that is full of no reserves, no retreats, no regrets. A life fully lived Jesus and let that be your life as well church and if it is not I pray that the spirit of God will convict you in such a way that you will turn away from your sin and run to Jesus so that you can say these words to live is Christ to die is gain will you pray with me father as this band comes forward I thank you so much For just the life that you have called us to live. The life that you have set before us in Jesus. But the truth of the matter is in a crowd this large. That there is somebody in this room that is not living for Jesus. They're living for themselves. They're lost. And Father I pray that you will convict them. That you will draw them to yourself. And that you will save them as only you can do. Father, thank you for these graduates, for the past four years, four years of blessed ministry that I've had with them. And Father, I pray for four more fruitful years as they go off to go to college, and many of them much longer than four years. I pray that the life they live will reflect the glory of Christ, and that they won't waste their lives. And that we will look at their example and say, I can do that too as a teenager, as a child, as a parent, as a grandparent, 
of someone who's nearing the end of life, we can live our lives in such a way that says to live is Christ and to die is gain. Father, remind us of our calling that we are to live on mission wholly and completely. And let us do that the rest of this week and the rest of our lives. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.